Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. I'm going to give you time to find it. We're going to begin in verse 11. Um, this is a very well-known story. You probably have heard it um, many times. Let me ask a show of hands. Who has, who, has, who has never heard of the prodigal son? If you have never heard of the prodigal son, please raise your hand. You never know. There's always, yeah, there's always somebody who may wander into church. Oh, yeah. So everyone here is not, wow, okay. Very well. Um, we're going to begin to read. I'm going to be reading here from the 1984 NIV. Jesus continued, verse 11, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between, between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set up for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the elder son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, What was going on? Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. 
he was lost, and now he's found. Let me pray. Father, we thank you this morning, Lord, for your love and your mercy towards us, Lord. Um, Lord, you've been so good. Father, when we look even at this story, Lord, we see your mercy, Lord, and your kindness, Lord, towards all of us. And Father, I pray that as we look at your word, Lord, um, this morning, that you'll silence just every voice, Lord, that you'll help us all to be here, Lord, spirit, soul, and mind, Lord, and that we may hear, Lord, what you're saying, Lord. We pray that you silence every other voice, Lord, that your voice will be heard, Lord. Father, we pray, Lord, for all those who have strayed, any backsliders, Lord, that you'll bring them home, Lord, whether they be here or watching online or may watch or listen to this later. We pray, Lord, for those who have grown cold and indifferent, Lord, that you'll also bring them back. Lord, Father, I pray for your anointing, Lord. Uh, Father, to help us. Father, help us, Lord, to hear your word. Help me to deliver it, Lord. And I pray that you'll give us the power to put it into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Jesus gave this parable. The Bible says, if you read earlier, at the beginning of chapter 15, it says that now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around him, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law, of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. So Jesus was being criticized for hanging out with quote-unquote sinners, people that the religious establishment and religious people considered uh, bad, unrighteous. And Jesus responds to them by giving them three parables. And all those three parables talk about different kinds of lost people. You have the lost coin, you have the lost sheep, you have the lost son. And there is four categories of lost people here that Jesus covers. And I'm going to talk about the lost son here that we um, just read about. And so the question is that you may ask, here is a son who has apparently a very, very wealthy father. And the father seems to be a good man from all that we can tell from this story. There's no indication otherwise. There's indication that this is a good father. But one day the son just goes to his father and says, give me my share of the inheritance, the money that he's supposed to get when his father is dead. Give it to me now. And interestingly, this father gives it to him. And then he sets off, goes on to a distant land, uses that money, squanders it in wild, wild living with prostitutes, it says. And then after that, the inevitable happens, he runs out of money, and he is back at the house. He comes back, repents, and we have his older brother who is not very happy about that. Now, this father obviously represents God. And 
you and I may be this younger son here. And the question is, why did the son leave? Why would the son with a wealthy father who's got everything that you could imagine at home, why would he want to leave and pack and go away? What happened here? I want to talk about that because it is important. You, we don't just wake up one day and say, I'm leaving God. People don't just wake up one day and say, I'm not going to be a Christian anymore. Or I am going to become a distant Christian, I'm going, meaning that I'm going to, I will be following Jesus at a distance. There are a certain number of things that happens before that. And I want to talk about one of the most common ones. What happened with this son that he left? I believe this. He believed the lie. There is a voice that comes to us, the voice of the devil, who comes and begins to lie. And the lies that he brings are these. If you give your life to God, he is going to mess it up. If you entrust your life to God, you are going to lose. If you live according to the way that God wants, you are going to miss out. People think that the devil comes, there is this um, idea that Satan does, um, he comes and attacks us in all these different ways. Let me tell you the most common ways that Satan attacks people. Do you know what it is? Lies. It tells you stuff that are not true. Makes you believe that what's true is false and what's false is true. That's its primary way. That's why the Bible calls him the deceiver. Jesus said when he lies, he speaks his native language because he's been a liar from the beginning. What was the lie that when Jesus said he's been a liar from the beginning, what was the lie? He told Adam and Eve, God doesn't have your well-being in mind. He doesn't want you to become like him. Don't trust his commands. If you eat of that fruit, you're not going to die. Don't believe him. There's some good stuff he's trying to keep away from you. That's the lie from the beginning. That lie continues today. The voice comes to you and begins to tell you, Your life isn't going to be that productive in God's hands. And the voice comes and he tell, it tells you, out there there's something for you. There's something for you out there. Outside of the realm of this God. Just, this God is, is just, you're going to live your life just following him? That's kind of boring. There's stuff out there. And some of you sitting here, Maybe you've been hearing that voice this very week. That voice has come to you and has been telling you, um, yeah, go out there and explore. Go out there and check some other things out. And the goal of the lies of the devil is this. It's one thing. It's to get you and I to stop loving God. When the Bible says the enemy comes to kill, steal, and, and destroy, what does that involve? What does he come to steal? Have you ever thought about that? 
Um, would the devil come and steal your car? No, he would not. And because oftentimes, especially if you're here, um, I don't know what the label, Pentecostals or whatnot, we maybe have that, we have that label. But the way people pray against spiritual warfare, the devil is attacking my car, my transmission, and, and, and all of that. He may do such things like that and cause damage, but he's not interested in your money and in my money. He does not go shopping. He's not interested in any of that. What he's trying to steal from you and I is our love for God, our faith and our trust and confidence in him. He wants you and I to begin to doubt God enough that we begin to stop loving him. That's what he comes to kill and to destroy is our faith and our love for God. And so he will make you a billionaire. If you, he'll make you a billionaire if, you, if that's what you want, provided you stop loving God. He will tell you, I will give you all this world. Just stop worshiping God. Bow down, worship me. I'll give you whatever you want. The devil has no problem prospering people, provided they stop loving God. And that's what happened. Now, how do I know this is what happened to this, uh, to this young man, that he stopped loving his father? Well, the Bible says, um, you can write this down if you're taking notes, it's in 1 John chapter 2. The Bible says that, do not love the world because anyone who loves the world does not have a love for the Father. That's a law. The more our love for the world, and when the Bible says the world, it doesn't mean the earth. It means the system and the things that is valued by this world, which spiritually and eternally don't have much value. And when we begin to love those things, the wealth, the pleasures, the things of this world, and our hearts become, become enthralled with those things, automatically our love for God begins to decrease. And similarly, if our, as our love for God decreases, our love for the world grows. So the Bible says, it says the same in James, do you not know that friendship with the world, you adulterous generous, do you not know that friendship with the world is, is enmity with the Father? It's always the Father and the world, always juxtaposed. And Jesus, when Peter denied him, that was a backsliding, a major backsliding. The next conversation that Jesus had with Peter, what did he ask him? Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? That was the issue. He didn't ask him, why did you deny me three times? He went to the root issue. He asked him, do you love me? And the Bible says Peter was hurt. Now, it hurts. I know you, you may look at me today and say, Freddie, I love God. What are you trying to say? I love God. I'm saying, well, if you're gravitating towards the world, you don't. You are losing your love for God. It hurts to hear that, but that is the truth. Often people say, God knows my heart. God knows I love him. Well... If you're gravitating towards the world, you're beginning to backslide. I can tell you there's one reason 
your love for God is growing cold. And your love for whatever is out there is increasing. And the love grows cold because you are believing a lie. So if some states say, Someone comes and tells me, starts to talk to me against my brother Josh here. Okay, you know, Josh did, Josh did this, Josh did that. Josh uh, lied about you. Josh did, Josh did this and that. Well, yeah, and then I'm going to start not loving him if I pay attention to that. And that's exactly what the devil does. And he, accu- he accuses God in our ears, so we stop loving God. And then we gravitate towards the, wor- the, the world and anytime you see someone, you hear of a pastor who fell into adultery, you hear about someone who's gone back, it always begins somewhere. There was a pursuit of the father that was abandoned. They did not maintain their love for God. Very often in ministry, people begin loving the Lord. All they want is Jesus. They did not start as preacher, pastor, teacher, author, so forth. They started as lover of Jesus Christ. But as time goes on, they, um, they get popular or the church grows or something like that. They become performers. They don't spend much time in prayer anymore. They stop pursuing Jesus Christ just as me, a Christian, and pursuing the Lord. That, that goes away. And the love of other things start to come in. The love of crowds, the love of money, the love of pleasure. And soon the person is gone, and you hear then a catastrophe, something terrible happened. Never, it's never like an earthquake. That never happens suddenly. It's always the result of a slow process of the love for God dwindling. And it is one thing I appreciate about Pastor Steve. I think some of you have heard me say that before. appreciate the fact that as a man who maintains his walk with the Lord, I respect that. I like to see it. I like seeing that. Someone who's a pastor, a good teacher, that's fine. There are many good teachers out there. Oh, but people who love the Lord are few. And I, I, I love to, I, I love and respect seeing that. So now what happens when we lose our love for the Lord? What happens when we be, our love for the Lord begins to grow cold? When we begin to distance from the Lord, we start to devolve. The devolution that begins to happen. And here are some of the signs of it that you can check for yourself. We become impatient. This guy could not wait till his father passes away to ask for his inheritance. You begin to live, to have that instinct here and now, here and now, here and now. I, I want it here and now. Why can't you wait? No, it has to be now, it has to be now. You become dissatisfied. You get itchy. You, wanna, you, 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 want to, 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 you no longer want to wait. You, you begin to, um, to resent the barriers that integrity and righteousness puts on your path. You become short with people around you. You don't want to wait till you get married to live with someone. You, you don't want to wait. You don't want to wait till you get married to get physical with someone. The impatience kicks in. You don't want to wait till you have a job and make money, so you're tempted to go steal. Don't want to wait. And impatience comes in. 
You become insensitive to others. You don't care what your actions, what pain your actions cause to people. Do you know, can you imagine what that feels to a father to tell him, hey, give me my share of inheritance right now. You're not dead yet, I understand, but um, give me my money right now. And I'm going to take off with that money. <laughs> can you imagine what that does to a father? Some of you here are fathers. How would you feel if your child came to you and said something like that? But that's what happens when we no longer love God. You see, the, Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? He did not say they're all important. Keep them all. He did say there was an important one. He said it is, you will love the Lord your God with all your spirit, all your heart, all your strength, all your mind. And he said there is another one that is like it. You love your neighbor as yourself. And when we stop loving God, we, stop, we become mean to our neighbor. We become mean to our families. You start to do things that are hurtful, inconsiderate. You want to divorce your spouse. It doesn't matter if your spouse and your children are pleading with you, please don't do this. You don't care what pain you're causing them because you want to go try a new adventure. Become inconsiderate. You engage in behavior that brings pain to your parents. And you know it's bringing pain to your parents, but you don't care. The root issue is that you do not love the Lord anymore. And eventually distance sets off. And it is very interesting that this father gave the son the money. I mean, um, he must not have been an African father. Um, the son would have gotten, uh, he never would have asked again. Um, <laughs> or an Indian father or something. Yeah, that would have been... It might have been an American father here. So he, he ended up taking the money, and the, the father gives it to him. There is a way in which God respects our choices. When we say, I want to walk out, we walk, you know, very often I hear this passage, John chapter 6, say that, um, you know, uh, the, the father, uh, I, hold, I, I have you in my hand and no one can snatch you from the father's hand. Well, that's true, but we can walk out. We can walk out. No one can snatch me from, my fa from the father's hand. But if you decide and say, God, I want to walk out, God will respect that because that's what love does. Love gives people choices. God could have made all of us robots. And we obey God every time he says something. You know, it's like, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. I'll go do it. Yes, Lord. God could have programmed us like that. Who would want that? Would you want a child like that? Says, yes, Lord. No, you want your child to obey you by choice. And so the, here, God gives us the choice. And, in that, and as we devolve in that lack of love for God, and we distance from Him, one of the sure signs that comes is that we begin to use God-given resources for our own selfish ends. He took the money that his father, was his father's money, not his. But he took it, and he went with it, and began to use it for his own pleasure. And this morning, I want to ask you, what, have, what are the things that God has given to you and how have you been using them? 
Has God given you intelligence, a smart mind? What do you use that for? Has God given you um, talent, gifts? What are you using those talents for? Has God given you a wife or a husband? How are you using your marriage? What are you using it for? I tell you, I know marriages that are being helpful for the kingdom of God, and I know some that are not. Has God given you a home, a house? What is it being used for? I know houses that are used for God. And I know houses where it's all about the people that live there and their lives and their family and they don't want anybody to bother them. When, but all those things are given to us by God. Do you realize that? The Bible says, what do you have that you did not receive? I don't care what you have, a degree, a house, a car. Those are things God has given to us. What are they being used for? He began to use these things for his own, uh, for his own, um, for, for his own pleasure. And here is the sure sign. This is the sure sign that someone has backslidden. You know the most precious thing that God has given to you and to me on this earth? It's time. It's the gift of time. No amount of money can buy a second for you. And when someone backslides, distances from the Lord, when someone is distant from God, you can tell by the use of their time. It's the ultimate sign. You used to spend an hour reading the word and praying, and that hour goes to 45 minutes, then to 30, then to 25, and then you start spending one, two days without any time at all with the Lord, without any time in the Word, and it becomes a downward spiral from there. That's how it begins. When we no longer use our time deliberately to carve out time to deliberately seek the Lord, our love grows cold and everything else follows. Now, I want to talk just briefly about, because I'm running out of time, so I want to talk about this from the father's perspective. Please listen carefully here. It would have been painful if this child was just going and leaving, okay, for good reasons. So my mom is here today, actually. She's sitting right over there. When I, when I left to go to... Put this one. <laughs> yeah. So when I was leaving for college, um, still in the story, I, I didn't have enough money to buy a plane ticket. I actually took the train from Alexandria, Virginia, up here. And mom came to drop me off at the, at the train station. And uh, she began to cry, and a lady came and was like, why, is something wrong? I said, no, my son is gone. I said, oh, wow, where did he go? Just to call it. Well, she's going to come back. Holiday. She said, no, it's not the same. It's not going to coming home tonight. It's painful if the child is going away for good reasons. But imagine the pain of the father when a child is living in rebellion. Imagine the pain of knowing that he's putting so much of his money in the hands of an unwise son who's walking in rebellion. He knows He's going to use that money to, to, to hurt himself and squander it. Can you imagine the pain? 
in the Father's heart. We call this the parable of the lost son, but this is also the parable of a grieving father. The Bible talks about Jacob when his sons were separated from him and the pain he suffered when Joseph was taken away and later on Benjamin for just a brief period. The pain of the child leaving was hard. But here when a child is walking in rebellion, the father grieves. I've been doing ministry for a long time, since my teenage years. I can tell you I've been in some form of ministry, Christian leadership, since I was a teenager. And I tell you, one of the most painful things in ministry is when you know that people are going down a path that you know is going to be destructive for them and they won't listen. Someone walks away and you know they're going to come back with bruises and wounds down the road. And I've seen that over and over again. I'm sure Pastor Steve and Eric, I'm sure I've seen that as well. And, you know, there's this, there's this, um, there's a famous sermon that um, we read it in, in our 11th grade English class, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God by Jonathan Edwards. And it's a very famous sermon delivered here in Massachusetts. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, an early Puritan. He, and God used that sermon. It's a great mess, sir, sermon. It's about how people are about to slip into hell. And God used it powerfully to convict people and bring them to repentance. However, I am now going to suggest that I know better than Jonathan Edwards. as much, much, much more spiritual man than I am. But I do want to suggest to you, as surely as it is true that sinners are in the hands of an angry God, more and more I believe, even more true than that, sinners are in the hands of a grieving God. God grieves over the people he created and who are walking on a path that he knows is destructive for, because he loves us. In Genesis 6, it says, before the flood, before God judged the world and destroyed it by the flood, it says God saw the wickedness of the world and his heart was filled with pain. There wasn't just an angry, and I, I don't know, I heard there was a Noah movie. I'm not really a movie person, but I heard there was a Noah movie where they did the flood. I don't know if they captured that, that before there was a God who judged, there was a God who was grieving over the people that he had created. And so, in this case here, there's a father who was there grieving and waiting. And off this son goes. And that devolving continues. He goes out there and he squanders. The Bible says he squandered his wealth in wild living in my translation here, he wasted it. Um, there's no, nothing to gain from walking away from God. There is not, God created you and I in such a way that we cannot win by sinning. It will never in the long term look like you won. 
If you think about all the regrets that you have in your life, think about it. Is there one regret where you tell yourself, you know what, I obeyed God that time. I wish I didn't. Have you ever heard someone say that? I feel I obeyed God too much. I, I shouldn't have. All of the regrets we have, all of them, are when we disobeyed the Lord. That's the reality of it. And so, he gets, so the Bible calls it squandering. People would have said, wow, this guy's having fun. Look at him. He's driving around in the latest car. He's going around and having fun. I often, after, I often hear that. People say they're having fun. But is that really fun? Any pastor, Pastor Eric will tell you, Pastor Steve will tell you, you sit down with people often and they tell you the consequences of them having fun and you really ask yourself, was that really fun? Was that relationship, that relationship was that really fun? Well, there was pleasure in it. Sure, the Bible says there's pleasure in sin. But is it really worth it? Poison food tastes good too. You know that? Poison food tastes good too. And just because you're enjoying something in the moment doesn't mean that in the end it's beneficial for you. It's why the wisest thing to do is to live according to what God has said. And so he wastes his money, and in the end he finds himself with nothing Sin is expensive, as Pastor Steve mentioned on Tuesday night. There's pleasure in it, but there's no joy. There's, no, there's that saying that says sin will take you further than you want to go, will keep you longer than you want to stay, and will cost you more than you're willing to pay. It really is true. It really is true. Uh, we have some young people, teenagers here. Let me tell you. Don't believe the lies that says that there's something out there for you. That if you go out there and have quote-unquote fun, you'll be happy. You will not. You're only creating issues and complications for yourself for later on. Believe me. Walk with Jesus Christ and you will always be glad that you did it. I gave my life to Christ at 10 years old and I've never looked back. My only regret is that I have now read this word more than I have. Tell you the truth. If I were to go back, I'll do more of it, no less. If I were to go back, I'll read more of the Bible, I'll pray more, no less. I'll even cut off some ministry and pray more. I'll tell you the truth before God. If I were to go back, I'll do more of it. So, finally, he's out of money, and the Bible says that he goes and hires himself out to some some place where they ask him to, to, to feed pigs. Now, the Bible says he longed to fill his stomach with the pots that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything because you don't give a human being um, pig's food. But you see, the devolution of that sin causes, he devolved to the point where he's even desiring what the pigs are eating. Sin, sin brings us into a level of insanity. You go around and you see uh, the, at the Methadone Mile, some of you were at, the, uh, were in, in, uh, at, at Kensington. You see the result of the destruction that sin brings to people where it almost becomes like animal level. 
When people say that human beings, you know, when we talk about evolution, they say human beings are just like animals, and we have, in a sense, that's true. You take God out, we're no much more than a little more smarter than the rest of the animals, but that's about it. And at some point, though, something snaps in him, and he says, wait a minute. Wait a minute, like, I, I, I'm here, I, I'm here, and feeding, trying to eat pig's food, the servants in my father's house have more to eat, have food to spare. And at that time, he begins to now see his father the proper way. Truth begins to come back into his mind. I was better off in my father's house. Life is better in my father's house. My life is better in the father's hands. My father loves me. That's truth beginning to come, to come back. Now, I don't know what made, him, what made that click. Maybe reaching rock bottom. Maybe some of you are at that place right now. I do not know. I've never figured out what really causes people to turn. What causes a person to become hungry for God? I've tried to get people to be hungry for God, and so far I've not succeeded very much. It either seems to be there or it's not there. But one thing that I can say is you can make the decision. So this man began his journey back. He got up and he began to journey back. So here is the restoration process. And I want to say this before I talk to you about the restoration process. You see that this, this, while this young man was out there, there was no support from his dad. He did not send somebody to visit him. He did not send him money. There were no care packages sent to him. That is different from the other two lost parables that Jesus said, the lost coin and the lost sheep, where they went and searched out for the lost coin and the lost sheep. I don't have time to get into it, but I'll I'll tell you, this is important if you lead people, you have to know this. Not every lost person is the same and is intended for you to go chase after. The lost coin was lost because of the ne- they represent someone who was lost due to the neglect of the church. So it's a, like a woman who has lost a coin. The woman is the church. The lost coin is somebody who, by the neglect of the church, got lost. We go search for that one. And then there's the lost sheep who got lost simply by ignorance. Sheep wonder. And someone who gets lost by ignorance simply because of immature, you go chase after that one. But this son walked out. You do not chase after that person. It is not love to go chase after him. You have to let him come to the place where they realize, I was better off in the father's house. So he begins his journey back, and here's what it says. I'm going to say to you real quick. He came to his senses he began to think correctly about God. And the first, number one thing that I want to say to you that he did, there was a repentance. Repentance means a turn of direction. It means I was living for myself, doing what pleases me. I get up in the morning and I do what Freddie wants to do. Okay? Then I have an encounter with Jesus Christ. I come to my senses. And so I turn. And now I begin to ask, what does Jesus Christ want from me today? What does he want me to do? It's a change of 
MO. It's a different style of going about life. He turned around and he left. He left the place where he was at. He made no excuses and he did not blame anybody else. I know people who blame everyone except themselves. It's like a proverb that says, A man's own foolishness brings ruin to him, yet he rages against the Lord. And there was a confession. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. There was a confession to God. That one is easy. But there was a confession to man. Some of you today, after this service, need to go out there, make a phone call and call somebody and tell them, you sinned against them and you were wrong. Maybe you need to call a spouse. Maybe you need to call a parent. Maybe you need to call your parent and say, half of your gray hair was from my teenage years. And they asked that to a former president of the United States. They asked him, you, your hair got so gray while you were president. He said, it's not a presidency that gave me gray hair. It's having teenage daughters that, that gave him gray hair. You, may, you need to call your parents and say, that, that was me. I gave you gray hair. And I'm sorry, was a confession. And then here, please listen to this carefully. There was a, a change of attitude, a change of prayer. You know, when he left, what he said to his father, give me. When he came back, you know when he, what he asked his father? Make me. So he said, leave me in my mind, and now he said, make me like one of your hired men. At the beginning of our walk, we want God to give us, give me this, give me this, give me that. The more we grow spiritually, the more we start asking the Lord, Lord, make me. Make me a more honest man. Make me a more humble man. Make me a woman with a gentle and quiet spirit. Make me a boy or a girl who stands for God. Make me, change me. There was a change. There was a repentance. There was a confession. There was a change of attitude. And here is what the father did. The Bible says, while he was still a long way off, the Father ran to him. The Bible said, draw near to God, he will draw near to you. The Father knew this is for real, this is true repentance. And the Father ran to him. The Bible said he embraced him, he kissed him. Now this guy just came from a pig's pen. It doesn't smell good. But the Father grabs him and says, quick, bring the robe, put it on him. Dressed in the righteousness of the Lord, put a ring on him. The covenant, put sandals at his feet, his, his, his ministry restored. Bring the fattened calf, which to me here stands for Christ. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son was dead, and now he's alive. And he was lost, and now he's found. Listen to this. There was no word, not one word from his father about what he did. So how much money did you waste? Did you learn your lesson now? Don't do this again. There was not a word from the Father. We don't rebuke people after they've repented. We don't correct people after they've repented. We do not mention their sin after they've repented. We trust that the Lord, who is a person that's been forgiven by God, we also forgive them. Others, if you don't, you're working against the Lord. When God has forgiven someone, they're forgiven. The Bible says in Proverbs that um, acquitting the guilty or 
uh, uh, condemning the innocent. The Lord detests them both. And that includes a person who has repented. They're not guilty anymore. The Lord detests anybody making them feel guilty. Oh my, I'm really out of time. So let me... Um, no, no, I have to stop. Another day, we'll continue. Um, let me say this real, real quick. Dan, you can uh, come back with the, with the team. I said that there was four kinds of lost people. There was the other lost person here was the, oldest bro- the older brother. When he heard that his brother had come back and they received me, he was mad. He was upset. He said, how can you take this guy back? How can you take this scoundrel back? He just wasted so much of your money. How could you bring him back? You see, there were two lost people here. One was lost outside the house, and the other was lost inside the house. He believed the lie, too, and this is the other lie. The lie which is that you need, God is a hard master. You need to work hard to please him. It's the lie of Phariseeism. You need to work just a little harder, just a little harder. That voice comes from the devil. It wasn't good enough today. It wasn't good enough. Try harder tomorrow. Try harder tomorrow. God doesn't treat his children like that. Fathers should not treat their children like that. Always saying, not good, not good, not good. Just keep, keep trying harder, 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 harder. That's, that's what he thought. And... He did not realize that his father loved him. You see, when he's talking about his father, his relationship with his father, he talked about his father like being a serv- like, like as though he's, he's, he, how he served the father. He viewed himself as a servant. How sad. Between the servant and the child, which is a better position? Servant of the king and the child of the king. Who will be given more importance? The child. We often respect the servant of God. But when you meet the king, who will you respect more, servant or his child? The child. So the Bible says in 1 John, see how much the Father has loved us that we are called his servants. No, see how much the Father has loved us that we're called his children. That we're called his children. When someone really wants to exalt you, they make you their child. And that's what God has done with us. I want to ask, um, I'm going to stop there. You know, of the three, of the four cases, that last one is probably the more dangerous because it's the only one that did not have a happy ending. They found the lost coin, the lost sheep, the son came back. That one, we don't know what happened. The last we have, he's outside the house refusing to come in. It shows off often in being unmerciful to people, unforgiving to people. Anybody who has really tasted the mercy of God will forgive others. Anyone who has really tasted of the goodness of God will not be hard with someone else. Do we have prayer couple, Solomon? Um, we're going to, um, and now I'm so sorry I went a little over my time, but we're going, Dan's going to be singing a song. There will be um, couple couples here, if you do not know the Lord, if you have wandered away from God, please come forward and have them pray for you. In fact, let me do it this way. If you know you have been away from God, your love for God has been growing cold, 
please stand up. And I ask you to stand. Yesterday at a funeral, I asked people who wanted to give their lives to, to, Christ, to Christ to raise their hand. Few people did. Then a lady came later to me and said, I wanted to, to raise my hand, but I looked around and nobody else was, so I didn't. Um, I told her, you should have. A few people did, but she was looking around. Don't look around. Um, if you know that your love for God has been growing cold, or you know that you've just been into Phariseeism, trying hard to perform to please God, and you're frustrated, like trying to put on a shirt that you're already wearing, that's frustrating. Stand up, and we're going to pray for So I'm going to ask those of you who are standing, please, to go and to these uh, folks here. They're going to pray for the rest of you. Remain seated. Dan is going to uh, begin to sing, I will pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that you are the God who loves us and calls us home, that you are calling all the prodigals home, everyone whose heart has grown cold and distant from you, Lord, anyone who's been listening to the voice of the deceiver, that there's something out there for them in sin, in pleasures. Lord, we pray that you will tear those lies down today. In Jesus' name, tear those lies down, Lord, today. And anyone, Lord, who is confused about whether they're loved by you or not. Father, I pray, Lord, that you'll bring them back, Lord, to you today. That you'll open their eyes to see. Father God, Pray, Lord, that the prodigals will come home. Those who do not know you will come home. And know that everything, Lord, that you have, Lord, is ours in Christ. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, 